Okay, welcome back. Thank you for being here. I hope everyone is well. Uh, today, as I just said, um, I want to take a lateral move, a move off to the side um, at, which, at, at which position we will then go deep. Uh, as I've discovered over the last week, uh, the readings that I've done from the website nonduality.com regarding Sky of the Heart, Jewels of Wisdom from Nityananda. Um, actually, those several sub-chapters or chapters were of uh, the, the introduction to the book. And I didn't even look because I'm just sort of sleepy. But it seems that most of the rest of the book, Jewels of Wisdom or uh, Sky of the Heart, uh, most of the rest of the book is Chittakash Gita, meaning Nichinanda's utterances uh, from the, uh, a seven-year, four-year, seven-year period of the 1920s. And uh, it's arranged in a unique way, different than uh, standard arrangements that I've found of Chittakash Gita online. And so rather than read the physical book, uh, Sky of the Heart, what I want to do is read Chittakash Gita. And uh, absolutely, <laughs> I am unqualified. Um, but some may say I am. Or, <laughs> there you go. And it's 286 utterances. Uh, coming out of trance or from some expanded state of consciousness and awareness not intended for publication, not intended to guide the student. Nityananda was just speaking from his awakening uh, at devotees' houses in South India in the 1920s. And I don't presume to understand it fully. I presume that I can understand a little. And I think it's worthy of um, recitation, repeating, speaking to you. It's beautiful and deep and beyond my level and beyond your level unless you are at his level. Uh, I'm drawing from a page or site called nityanandatradition.org and there was something, this was prepared by, first of all, there's the, it's a standard numbering, different than the numbering of Chittakash Gita verses from Sky of the Heart book. So Sky of the Heart, compiled by Captain Hatengi and Chaitanyananda. I believe Chaitanyananda reordered the verses in a different way from the standard uh, ordering of the 286 that I'm finding in a couple of places online. And uh, he gave some commentary, and I will give some commentary, but not as much... Hopefully, I can, I'll be well restrained, uh, because really, again, it's beyond me, and um, in a way, this is not, uh, it's not up for debate. <laughs> it's uh, his awakening. He's speaking truths from his awakening. Now, some people will think he's a he's a fraud. I guess some people could think that, or he's not so great, or my guru is better. Fine. Uh, 
there's an interesting <laughs> set of, I, I'm going to ease my way into this, where first I want to talk about uh, the immaturity of us seekers. Then I want to give the introduction from nityanandatradition.org on Chittagashkita. Then I will read uh, some of the verses, starting from one, uh, going from maybe one to fifty today, or one to twenty. We'll see how the how long it goes. And there is a glossary link that I also provided. Um, there's a better glossary actually in Sky of the Heart, but I don't see it online. Uh, the first is this matter of who's right and who's wrong and us seekers or us who are not finished. Uh, Carla said bozos on the bus. I think that's pejorative. I won't say you or I are bozos on the bus. But um, the reality is <laughs> there's a heck of a lot of disagreement uh, within communities uh, in each of the religions, particularly here in this case, uh, Hinduism and Buddhism. And in the end, I think, uh, number one, people should simply go with what seems true and important and helpful to you. You can say, follow your feeling, but sometimes teaching is upsetting or truth um, is bitter in the taste. The taste of certain truths are bitter to certain people sometimes. That's not, um, that's not rare. It's kind of common when we've been in wrong view. Uh, getting out of wrong view generally requires some kind of shattering armor, disillusionment, cognitive dissonance, passing through phase, a phase of passing through cognitive dissonance, uh, like we find our beloved teacher is a scoundrel. I didn't, I, I mean, <laughs> my teacher, Edo Roshi, from uh, Daibosatsu Zendo in the early 80s, uh, I knew he was a scoundrel, but he was not bad to me. But um, uh, disillusionment is common, and we're just uh, doing our best and some people cannot live together. <laughs> and um, not every teacher is suitable for each student. Not every teaching is suitable for each student. Uh, what I say is true and helpful. Uh, you may say is wrong and deluded. Uh, I think what's really helpful is to not waste time criticizing each other and yet it's important to be honest if we think someone's a fraud or deluded or a scoundrel and a bad person but once we know it eh, I think that's enough <laughs> go away if you don't like the teacher and the teaching go away and that's how it should be done my stepsister was a student of Muktananda. Muktananda uh, claims to be in the succession from Nityananda, but I don't really think so. All the students of Muktananda say he was. The students uh, of the students of Nityananda will say Nityananda is directly from Nityananda. I don't think so. 
<laughs> Actually, uh, Nityananda, I don't think, had any disciples. He had only devotees. He didn't name a successor. And everybody's got their opinion. I don't think that Muktananda can hold a candle to Nityananda, nor to the others. So my stepsister left the, the, the Muktananda organization after he died. He was her guru. When he died, she couldn't generate uh, bhakti guru love for the successors, who were a brother and sister, one of whom then got thrown out by a scandal, and the sister took over. Uh, and some people love her, and some people don't have any feeling for her, and some people don't like her, and some people think that she's the best. There you go. <laughs> and so... This website, nityanandatradition.org, um, was prepared by someone named Swami Shankarananda, about 80-year-old fellow, student of Muktananda, who is considered by these people in the direct lineage from Nityananda. Meanwhile, <laughs> I don't think Nityananda thinks so, even though they love him. It doesn't matter, you, you love me. <laughs> uh, Meaning, I believe his view is, you can love me, that's nice, but uh, I didn't nominate you in my, as my successor and you're not in the direct, there's no direct lineage. He didn't establish a lineage, but they may consider themselves in a lineage. And in the end, it just, <laughs> it just doesn't matter who you don't like. Stay away from them and find what you do like. And don't waste a lot of time disliking who you dislike, dislike them and move along. <laughs> and so, in this page uh, about this site, the title of the page is about this site from Swami Shankarananda, student of Muktananda. Uh, there's some, I got a little epiphany. Down the page, there's a section uh, called This Website and the Lineage, an Integral Point of View, he wrote, Several of the branches of our tradition, meaning his view that, Nichi that Muktananda's tradition comes out of Nityananda, as Muktananda and the followers of Muktananda believe, and, the, and those that are of his successor, this woman who was a sister of a brother, who were co-lineage uh, holders until he got thrown out from some scandal, which happens commonly. Uh, he goes on, several of the branches of our tradition hold widely differing views, views that sometimes clash with each other. In this website, we've endeavored to take an integral perspective, one that can include any, everyone with their disparate viewpoints while recognizing the common source from which their teachings and their shakti flow. And he puts Nityananda at the center, saying that everything flows from him. I don't think that he established lineage. <laughs> they establish lineage and claim that he's the source. I think he's he is an inspirational source uh, to lineages that they feel um, come directly from him. Um, I don't think he sees it that way. And other people will think that, who the hell am I to say that? You know, nobody's opinion has any more um, existential weight than anyone else's, actually. E e even... You know, somebody says that Nityananda, I mean, I don't know what he said about himself. I mean, he's not saying, I am the God, I am the one, with capital letters. 
and some people would feel that he's an avatara. I mean, it seems to me he's a, a, of the level of Gautama, an eighth density being. Somebody else will say, I'm wrong. He may have said that. He really never said anything directly like that. Uh, and uh, in the end, my opinion has no more weight than, than Swami Shankarananda's or Muktananda's, actually. Some people will think what I'm saying, integrating the raw material and early Pali Buddhism and uh, some of this Nityananda teaching of which could be called Advaita Vedanta or, or classic Vedantic Yoga. Some people think this is great and most of the rest of the world couldn't care less. What's true? <laughs> I don't know. Um, people essentially... Uh, what's, what's, what seems most important to me is to continue development and not get stuck with teachings and teachers that don't resonate. And the teaching and a teacher that resonates and from which you feel great development or love or value has no weight for anyone else. <laughs> we may think, I may think, Nityananda and Gautama and Pali Buddhism and the raw material uh, is a perfect union, and I love them all. And it means nothing to someone else, or most other people. Am I right? Am I wrong? It just doesn't apply. <laughs> it's it it it's um, irrelevant. It's not it's not um, it's not the point. The point seems to be uh, take what works for you, and drop what doesn't and let everyone have their opinions and if they don't like you so be it and if you don't like them so be it and if you think they're a fraud so be it and if you think they're great so be it uh, so they think that they're coming out of a lineage from Nityananda it looks to me like Nityananda established no lineage and uh, this point that, that views sometimes clash with each other so you've got basically gurus, meaning teachers that are considered a guru to thousands of students, who have sometimes radically different oppositional positions, oppositional views. Down the page, uh, <laughs> he said uh, they, they arrange a list of 100 teachers. He said some are gurus, some are swamis, some are transformational teachers, and corporate teachers. Corporate teachers. <laughs> and he's categorizing them one way or another. Categories not meant to be taken dogmatically. <clears throat> uh, and uh, considers, I guess he considers that all of them have been uh, achieved, or they're all comparably achieved. I don't know. He goes on and says, it can't be denied that there have been political difficulties, misunderstandings, and differences in our tradition over the years. Unfortunately, this is also true in many other spiritual lineages. Yeah. So political difficulties, misunderstandings, differences, clashes, <laughs> splits in the Sangha. It happens all the time. <clears throat> and yes, it's been true in other lineages as well. Uh, take what works, what what feels what feels right, 
but look deeply uh, and don't be dogmatic <laughs> because what feels right and is right for you now you may later see as immature and poorly formulated later and the teacher that I thought was great when I was young maybe today I see has got a lot of distortion now this may be simple but for me <laughs> it it's sort of the, the radical indeterminateness the the essential relativity um, of teaching and truth it's relatively valuable to each who encounters it and over time the relative value may shift and uh, my interpretation <clears throat> is not sanctioned by anyone and the one wearing a robe is sanctioned by his predecessor wearing a robe that doesn't mean that that opinion is any better than yours or mine or the guy on the street and so sanction by institution by lineage succession doesn't mean that much because it depends <clears throat> uh, Ada Roshi who was basically accused of raping many women and he did I have a close friend whose wife was accosted by him it was traumatic for both of them yeah was thrown out by his by his board of directors at the Zen study society uh, in in recent in the last 20 30 years uh, I don't follow all the politicals he was sanctioned by sanctioned in, in meaning given the imprimatur of authority to teach from his from his teacher from his Roshi above him um, I forgot the name Cohen Soen Soen Roshi whose teacher was a great guy Soen Roshi's teacher but the Soen Roshi had problem and it went to Edo Roshi and he became a rapist and traumatized a lot of people meanwhile he didn't make trouble for me Meanwhile, I left them because I didn't like the whole situation and I wanted something earlier, <laughs> more original, so I went to Thailand. And that was in the very early 80s. So, <laughs> uh, let the buyer beware. And all these guys in robes may disagree radically with each other. They plot sometimes. I mean, there, <laughs> there are groups that, that have been accused of criminality in robes. There have been group, there have been robed group, Buddhist and Hindu groups that have done murder for hire of each other. It's been established. I mean, there are cases on this in India, Tibet, and Japan. <laughs> so we are down here on the ground in this 3D group, and um, it's good to know who you trust. It's good to know that the fact that they have. Um, uh, authority conferred by a lineage is okay but it doesn't really mean that much because there are psychotics in, in the Sangha and in the ashram sometimes and some of them achieve or some of them I mean a true teacher will see that and that person will not be given authority to teach but they may go out on their own and be a, be a teacher so <laughs> My, my opinion is no more valuable than yours and your opinion is no less valuable than, than a Roshi or a Guru. 
and yet we should be clear when they know more than us, which may be common or mainly that they know many more things than we know. In other cases, they're completely wrong. Or there is no right and wrong. But, well, there is. There is objective truth, actually. And yet, Ross said, understanding is not of your density. So, there's just some food for thought here and some, some ideas for you to consider. And I think it's important <clears throat> to look into that. So, let me go on. The second link I sent, also from nichinandatradition.org, the intro to Chittakash Gita. And this is from Swami Shankarananda. He wrote, By every testimony, Bhagwan Nichinanda was, was more a presence than a spiritual teacher. Seekers who entered his orbit would find themselves awakened, uplifted and transformed as the flow of his spiritual power impacted them. But not everybody. Some remained betting, seeking numbers for betting in the lottery. Certainly he was not the type of guru who gave a coherent teaching, commenting on sacred texts and placing himself in relationship to existing schools of thought and yoga. He had no interest in any of that. And that's why I say that he didn't establish a lineage. But these people feel that he is, they're in his lineage. Okay. But he was not giving a... Uh, guided teaching as Gautama did as uh, Ra did in their own way answering questions only different than the Seth material where he's just laying it all out and going on and on and on and on uh, so he wasn't commenting on sacred texts like I do <laughs> he didn't place himself in relationship to existing schools of thought and yoga in terms of his lineage uh, but they do but I don't and that's just, you know, truth, truth should be known and then uh, integrated, uh, distill the love light and move on. It goes on, hence, were it not for Chittakash Gita, we would have only a few stray remarks from Bhagawan's mouth. Bhagawan said, do this. Bhagawan said, eat that. Bhagawan said, go there. And so on. Though even today we experience great Shakti, he feels that, by thinking about Bhagwan or contemplating his photograph or Murti, uh, we have to count ourselves extremely fortunate that one set of his teachings, Chittakash Gita, exists. Let me just see something if I can. I don't know everything, and so I don't even know what Murti means. Murti. But um, everybody's got their opinion. <laughs> and there is no... There is no universally agreed-upon basis for anyone's opinion being any more valuable than anyone else's, even uh, those that have 10,000 followers and are lineal, lineal successors in a thousand-year-old lineage. It just doesn't mean that much in this world where you have filled with dishonest 3D repeaters, actually. And they may not be bad people, but they're not fully honest and committed to truth. So yes, one of his teachings, his speaking. You see, Nityananda's really in a different category. He's not even a teacher. He was a, I see him as a logoic force here to assist planetary evolution in the 20th century. He was a logoic incarnation or a member of the Guardians. 
here to facilitate, uh, to, to keep some ballast uh, for planet Earth during the 20th century. He goes on, according to Captain Hatengi's account from the Nietzsche Sutras, which is a very fine book and very hard to find, from Rudra Press, there's an, that's another rendering of Chittagash Gita, actually. According to Captain Hatengi's account from the Nietzsche Sutras, during his early years in Mangalore, circa 1922-1924, almost 100 years ago, Nichananda would start a monologue while visiting various devotees' houses. At first, the devotees thought he was speaking nonsense, but later discovered that his words contained an odd but exalted wisdom. He seemed to be speaking from a state of higher consciousness or a trance, and, and a few decided to make notes about what he was saying. So he's just speaking <laughs> from uh, his... Um, so-called state of expanded awareness. He's just speaking. His, um, his, in, his awakened vision. Before making one of these utterances, Bhagavan would say, Arjuna Mama, meaning Uncle Arjuna, come and listen. Krishna Adja, Grandfather Krishna, is going to speak. <laughs> Maybe he's uh, talking to entities in a higher density. Maybe Krishna and Arjuna were, were there for him. I don't even know if those are real beings other than uh, in the Bhagavad Gita. These are things we, I don't know. <laughs> somebody else will say they know. That doesn't mean they know either. Just because somebody says they know doesn't mean they know. They think they know. They may. And just because you think they do or they don't doesn't mean they do or they don't. You know, and I don't mean to be pedantic about that, but there's some very... You know, you, we not only have a world that's not committed to truth at all. Humanity is very little love of truth, please. But we're under the veil in 3D, and understanding is not even of this density, just as Ross said. I think it's absolutely true. And somebody else will say, no, I can know something perfectly. Okay, there you go. That's a strange situation to be in, you know. So, he goes on. These words were an announcement that another extraordinary transmission was imminent. After some time, Tulsi Ama, a female devotee, collected and organized the scraps of paper the listeners produced. She went to Bhagavan Nityananda to talk to him about publishing them. He told her that his remarks came from the Chitakash, or Space of Supreme Consciousness, and he didn't care whether they were published or not, of course. Despite Bhagavan's indifference, Tulsi Ama got them published in Kannada, the language, or a language in uh, southern India, as Chittakash Gita. The first English version was produced in 1940. That would be very interesting if somebody could track that down. These utterances are striking in their uniqueness. The voice and vision of Bhagwan Nityananda is unmistakable. He cannot be put into a single box, indeed. He is neither simply a Vedantin, a yogi, or a devotee. His teachings contain elements of all of these, meaning uh, representation of the Vedic tradition, ancient texts, or the yogic tradition of um, energy, consciousness development by technique and practice, or devotee, bhakti path, uh, lover of some deity. 
or Guru. His teaching, teachings contain elements of all of these. He talks about pranayama, the upward movement of prana, the omkar, the mind-free state of a great being, mind-free. The need for a guru, the practice of sadhana, or practice, especially bringing the mind to perfect silence, critical, and the primacy of direct spiritual experience over mere theory. All this is delivered in a terse, elliptical manner, which can be obscure, meaning hard to understand, for sure, but always stimulates the intuition for those who care, and is filled with energy, for those who can feel it, according to him, and I'd agree. But that doesn't hold any truth, or any weight. It's truth, whatever truth, who can say? Right? That's what we've got. At best, as Ross said, we have truth without proof. <clears throat> and authority confers no legitimacy, actually, because there are bad people in lineages, in human religious lineages. Not all, very few but some, and there are levels of awakening, and not everybody even seems to know that, even though they may be a lineal, success, lineal successor in a 2,000-year-old lineage or four. That's the case. And, and so you can love who you love and hate who you hate, but it, it has no bearing on me, actually. Uh, just like my way has no bearing on you. doesn't matter what I think for you. You've got to go for where you find truth and meaning and value by application. The application of a teaching determines its value. If, it, if upon application you find it's useful and helps you, then it is. And if not, then not. And so... At the same time, he goes on, at the same time, the aphorisms are full of homey images of village life. Bhagavan is particularly fond of using images from cooking to demonstrate yogic points. That's like alchemy. Alchemy. Even more than that, he loves images from travel, boats, planes, cars, and especially trains, so that it seems the spiritual journey is a journey indeed, which it is indeed, although it's all an illusion, and there's no time and space, actually. And the whole thing is a big dream. The Chittakash Gita, then, is neither a novel, nor a poem, nor a philosophical text, nor an essay. It's pure meditation in verbal form. Yeah, it's a verbalization of Nityananda's um, awakening. And that's why it's beyond all of us, including him, to fully comprehend. And even Nityananda didn't spend time explaining it at all. He he goes on, concludes, it should be read slowly and used as a springboard to enter that same space of consciousness from which it is generated, the chittakash. And chittakash, chitta, see, even though they spell it C-H-I-D-A or C-H-I-D, it's the same as C-I-T-T-A. Uh, and uh, it's one level of mind or it's one way of defining mind. On the page from nonduality.com, which has the same 286 verses in the same ordering as nichinanda.org.site, there is also a definition of chitta. And it is important to know that there's chitta and there's manas and there's buddhi. And then there's... Uh, <laughs> 
there's ahamkara and the the false the false self and then there's a true self there's jiva and there's jivatman and there's paramatman and so there are a lot of terms that <clears throat> i'm not a scholar of i'm not a buddhist and a hindu scholar uh, chitta <clears throat> in nonduality.com is defined as mind stuff but chit is considered the principle of universal intelligence or consciousness. <clears throat> Those are very different. <laughs> We're talking about universal intelligence or consciousness. That sounds like buddhi and discernment. And what is a principle of universal intelligence anyway? It's, I would say, sentience. But chit is not the same. See, there's manas and there's buddhi and there's chit. And so, to say that chit is the principle of universal intelligence or consciousness, which I could call the sentience of light itself, or the mind principle. What is the mind principle? What is mind? Right? What is mind? Well, there's illusion, illusory mind, and there's true mind. Buddhist teaching can include no mind. Well, Nityananda talks a lot about transcending mind, but it doesn't mean transcending the principle of universal intelligence. Uh, and so defining chitta as mind stuff uh, seems like contents of mind, but no, uh, because then it's defined, chit is a principle of universal intelligence, and then chit akash, in their definition, here on non-duality, is consciousness in its aspect as limited and unbounded knowledge and intelligence. So, if we say that chit is uh, sentience itself, what is sentience? Uh, the function of uh, the luminosity of light and vibration. The luminosity of vibration. Intelligent energies, self-reflectivity. The self-reflectivity, the, the very vibratory nature of intelligent energy in the raw system raw material system, right? Prana. Is prana different than chit? <laughs> right? Uh, intelligent energy in the raw material looks like prana to me. <clears throat> prana, in one place here, is uh, defined as life force or vital air. Okay? Vital air which pervades the body. Uh, vital and physical breath, prana. Is that different from chit? Um, perhaps not. In Sky of the Heart itself, there's a very fine glossary, in fact, much bigger than the one on nonduality.com. Here, <laughs> chit, it's very funny. Chit is defined as absolute consciousness. But chitta is defined as individual consciousness. Mm -hmm. And so there they define chitta as the mind of the empirical individual composed of the three elements, buddhi, ahamkar, and manas. This is what we looked into before last week, <clears throat> that threefold division. And I think that that's actually very well done. And so nonduality.com 
uh, had, it's very funny, they, they don't, the glossary on, their glossary online is nowhere near compre as comprehensive as the glossary in Sky of the Heart. And so, in keeping with what I read last week, seeing that they say there are three aspects of mind, buddhi, called uh, ascertaining intelligence uh, or discriminative understanding, ahamkar, meaning eye consciousness, uh, so-called ego, and manas, perceiving intelligence. Uh, he writes in Sky of the Heart, in the sutras, as in general English usage, mind is often used as a synonym for both chitta as well as the more limited manas. <clears throat> so they, they define manas as more of this um, uh, very similar perhaps to samskara, the fabrication, the fourth skanda in, in the five aggregates being uh, compounding, fabrication, fashioning, mental fashioning, both the function of mental fashioning of thought form as well as the product of such fashioning, which is thought form, which is composite. That samskara seems to be close to um, their usage of the word manas, which is just the lower function of mind. It's not the higher. So in Buddhism, then, you've got the fifth skanda called vijnana, which is consciousness. That they may that may be akin to buddhi, actually. But Gautama said that even consciousness is born of ignorance. And so um, the one who's free, who's, who, who's in complete freedom or complete perfect enlightenment, or nirvana, nibban, um, is not, in Buddhism, would not be considered living in some kind of supreme eternal consciousness. Absolutely not. Yet, there is this term, uh, vijnanam anidasanam, in Pali, Pali Buddhism, which we just talked about, and I'll look into it next week. We were trying to rectify uh, Vedantic conception of mind, of the mental principle, pre and post awakening. Pre-awakening, uh, this Vedantic system seems to divide it into manas, buddhi, uh, and and ahamkara. Uh, where chit comes into that, I'm not quite sure. Uh, Buddhism, you've got fourth and fifth skandhas, uh, samkara, samskara, and vijnana or consciousness. Both of those are subject to the three marks in Buddhism, meaning they're impermanent, arise, persist, passed away, insubstantial, anatta, they're, they're really empty of any abiding reality, and uh, dukkha, or stressful. Fine. Meanwhile, there is this term, vijnanam <laughs> anidasanam, meaning consciousness without surface. Mm. Now that looks a little bit like chit, or chittakash or intelligent infinity, or unbound awareness. But a Buddhist won't say that. But they did have a lot of trouble with it. And you know what? Any person's opinion is no more or less valuable than mine or yours. <laughs> One guy says it's this, another guy says it's that. One guy who's a lineal successor 
meaning he's in the lineage and he's a successor, he's a holder, his opinion is not necessarily any more or less valuable than yours or mine, actually. Because they have disagreements among themselves. They have disagreements among each other. They do. They do. That's why they're called many schools. That's why Theravada split into multiple schools. Then we split to Mahayana. They have multiple schools. Then they split to Vajrayana or Tibetan. They have four major schools. Each one of those schools has multiple sects. They're disagreeing with each other too. How about that? So this is really the, the Tower of Babel, the planet of confusion, the law of free will or law of confusion working overtime. But we can simply say that uh, there is um, a, a there there is the apparent reality of an experienced separative or apparently separate by experience experienced as separate mind selfhood and in many ways self is mind defined meaning uh, like <laughs> we just looked into the uh, Sundaraka. Bharadvaja Sutta, uh, where Gautama at one point says, um, what? He said, um, uh, I am, I forgot the phrase. Anyway, the, the, the word atta means self or mind. And he's sort of saying, I'm uh, mind awakened, but it also means self awakened or something like that. And so we define ourselves uh, as we think. And freedom from lower mind, freedom from the illusory functions of mind, which are basically the compositing of fourth skanda, the thought form generation and thought forms, as well as the basic awareness of vijnana, which is not chittakash, actually. That's the point. Is fifth skanda consciousness is not chittakash. It may be buddhi, but it's certainly not a liberated unbound uh, awareness intelligence. Because the goal, as Ross said, you know, akin to the Logos is intelligent infinity. So, <laughs> this is real specialist talk, but it's useful if we're talking about, I mean, it seems to be um, irrelevant, but people talk about the goal all the time. Every single one of these traditions, none of which totally agree with each other, you know. There are dozens of Buddhist schools there are dozens of Hindu schools. There are dozens of uh, religious uh, sects uh, in the other religions as well. What does that mean? It means that you've you got to trust yourself to, to see um, which, which teaching works for you in the way of, of developing love, wisdom, balance, and ease, and ability to serve, and ability to be well and um, balance and center and, and settledness and stillness. So, uh, with that kind of ragged introduction, <laughs> I want to read a bit of Chittakash Gita. And I maybe just read some straight through because I'm tired of my own commentary. So, from the page nityanandatradition.org, Chittikash Gita verses 1 to 50. Um, let me see how many I can do without interrupting myself. 
and I just read them with the number, they're numbered 1 through 286, and uh, some of them are very short, and some of them are very long, actually. I was so very surprised some of the latter verses or sutras are very long. So I'll just read them, read a bunch here, and you can uh, reflect on it. I might read them twice over. Chittakashkita Nichinanda, verses 1 to 50, starting. Verse 1. Yanis are mindless. To Yanis, all are the same. They have no slumber, no dreams, nor sleep. They are always in sleep. The sun and the moon are the same to them. To them, it is always sunrise. The glass of a chimney lamp, when covered with carbon, is not transparent. Similarly, the carbon of the mind should be removed. 2. There are three nerves in the body. The sun, or the sushumna, the moon, or the ida, the star, or the pingala. The first is red in color, the second blue, and the third green. 3. Where these three nerves meet is the heart space, hridayakash. As we go on practicing yoga, the bindu sound is heard in the head. This sound is one, indivisible. 4. Just as camphor is consumed by the flames of fire, so also mind must be consumed by soul fire. 5. The copra, detached from the shell, it's a coconut, makes a dull sound when shaken. So also the soul and body must be thought of as separate. The first is light. By that light, all vices are consumed. 6. Just as we draw water from a well, we should draw breath. When we breathe out, it should be like letting down the bucket into the well. When we breathe out, it is the carbon, the impurities of the body. When we breathe in, it is the breath of omkar, Breath of Omkar is the Manas. 7. Manas is Jiva, but their positions are different. Jivatman is Paramatman. 8. A man or woman should be educated. What is education? Jiva should know the secret that he is the Paramatman. So manas is jiva, but their positions are different, they're not the same. So manas as a term for lower mind, or very close to samskara. But their positions are different, meaning jiva is actually higher than manas. He says jivatman is paramatman, meaning <laughs> atman is the logos. Sub-sub-logos uh, atman is sub-logos the sun, Paramatman. 
Jiva should know the secret that he is Paramatman who is speaking who speaks what speaks all is the one infinite creator as Ra said and so um, there is Param, Param, Paramatman the greater Atman beyond Atman the essential Atman which is the Logos which is a sub-sub-logos. Logos as basically the principle of vibration, the source of light, the, the will that generates light as a light by vibration, by word. The logos as the word is the means by which infinity generates light. By the word, infinity generates light. The word is vibration. <laughs> the word is love, as the Beatles said. And so, <clears throat> infinity, by its will, um, wiggles. And that generates vibration, called the word, the logos. That logos is love, light, light, love, and generates light, which is the basis of the seven rays or the octaves so you've got manas uh, jiva which is jiva atman or atman then you've got logos or sublogo solar which is paramatman or parabrahman parabrahman might be above paramatman i'm not sure i'm not sure if he does you know hinduism is very close to the raw material <laughs> actually very close the raw material ra you know, <laughs> who was teaching those ancient yogis? Maybe uh, they were uh, Venusian teachers. So seven, Manas is Jiva, um, and higher self, mm, definitely, you know, like form maker body, six chakra, six dimensional energy field, generates form, the form of body, mind, spirit. Likewise, manas generates thought form. Just like samskara, I'd say. Now, that, I'm learning along the way here. I've never really thought about the <laughs> relationship between the Vedantic usage of the term manas and the Buddhist usage of the term samskara, sankara, fourth skanda. All right? I'm learning along the way. And, and my opinion is no more valuable or less than yours. And yours is no more or less than mine. Yeah? It's a funny thing, this world. And so, truth without proof. proof. There's no proving anyway, anywhere, anyhow. We just believe what we believe. And either we're doing better or doing worse over time. Mm. So, manas is jiva. But it's the lower function of mind. Jiva is above it. But it acts by manas or samskara. Yeah. But that's not the same as consciousness. Maybe Jiva is similar to consciousness and buddhi. Manas is sankara. But jivatman is paramatman, meaning the essential nature of jivatman. See, jiva as soul, manas as the, let's just say, compounding function of mind. Uh, jiva soul is above that compounding function, but above that jiva is something called jivatman, which is really not the difference than atman. Yet its true nature is Paramatman, meaning the Logos. What is the education? 
Jiva should know that the should know the secret that he is a Paramatman. That's the point, is that my body spirit complex and higher self Atman and seventh density totality complex are just vehicles of logos. Who speaks? Who speaks? The one speaks. You and me, not not Scott, arrogant fool Scott. <laughs> the one speaks always. The one is always speaking. The only one speaking is the one. The only one speaking is the one. Always, for all. The question is how well does how well has one purified manas um and you know, free of lower triad blockage, uh so that one knows that one is the one that is the only one speaking everywhere. That's um, sameness of vision, I'd say. So, eight, Jiva should know the secret that he is the Paramatman. What's the difference between Atman and the Logos? Nine, Paramatman is in Jivatman. The real Mukti liberation is to know the subtle in the gross. So, um, Manas is in Jiva, but Jiva is above Manas, or soul, is above the compositing mind. But the nature of that Jiva is Jivatman. But the nature of that Jivatman is Paramatman. Paramatman is in Jivatman, meaning God is the kingdom of heaven is within. Ba-boom. That's it. The kingdom of heaven is within. You think that Paramatman is different than the kingdom of heaven? We're not, not talking about fourth density kingdom of heaven. We're talking about God as the kingdom of heaven. The kingdom of heaven is God's realm. God's realm is no separate from God. And God is the Logos. So God is within. Paramatman is in Jivatman. And Jivatman is the true nature of the one that experiences Manas. The real Mukti is to know the subtle in the gross. Okay. Ten. We should leave off the gross sleep and sleep the subtle sleep. We should enjoy the sleep obtained from the practice of pranayam. Pranayam, like pranayama, is basically um, deliberate um, control and um, regulation of breath, uh, which is a sort of a forcing method, I think, of um, clearing seven, clearing the lower triad, facilitating arousal of a full kundalini root to crown, um, clearing the sushumna by way of ida pingala from root to crown. Uh, it's not a Buddhist way, and I think a lot of people have gotten into a lot of trouble with it because they have lower triad blockage and they can't get rid of that while they're forcing energy from root to crown. In any case, um, one may sleep better when one does regular meditation, of course, whether or not it's pranayama, especially if it's not, even just doing vipassana, one can sleep better. Let me go on. 11. The upgoing breath is like the wheels inside a clock. Its movement is inside. When the movement of the breath is internal, one will see the world in himself. 12. 
just as we see the sky reflected in the water in an earthen pot, so also, to the internal vision, the sky of consciousness, Chittakash, becomes visible. So let me read that again. Just as we see the sky reflected in the water in an earthen pot, so also, to the internal vision, Chittakash becomes visible. 13. If food is prepared in a gold vessel, the dog eats it. If it is prepared in an earthen vessel, then also the dog eats it. <laughs> food is food. Bodies are great or terrible, doesn't matter. But nourishment is nourishment, or the essence uh, of what one is. This is just one interpretation. There are many ways of interpreting. So there are many teachings that are good. And there are many teachings that are useless to any one person at any one time. There you go. The dog, uh, a dog doesn't care about outer. <laughs> Is that wisdom or crudity? But um, what's inner is more valuable than what's outer. It's more critical to the work, the inner, not the outer. And even with this whole notion of multiple schools with multiple opinions that sometimes clash and they split and schisms and sects and all that, that too is outer. What's inner is, um, like Ross said, that every tradition offers a clear path to the one for the sincere seeker. And so, I mean, a person whose heart is open uh, may see truth all over the place. And a person whose heart is closed sees shit all over the place. Absolutely. There are people who walk around smelling shit everywhere because the shit's in their head and they're just smelling themselves. But they're looking outside and blaming this, that, and the other one. Other people have flowers in their mind, flowers in their heart. <laughs> and and many, where, many places where they look, they, they smell beautiful flower and aroma because they're smelling their own flower. And others don't know what that means. Okie dokie. 14. The sunlight is reflected in the salt water of the sea. It is also reflected in the clear water of a tank at the top of a hill. It's not enough if we see with the eye, but we should experience it. And so, reflection, the sun, like Paramatman, or God, or the Logos, or One Infinite Creator, um reflects in salt water, reflects in clear water, reflects at the top of the hill, reflects at the bottom of the hill. Uh, it, uh, the, the means of reflection are, uh, are, are variable, but the nature of reflection is one. And uh, one should understand the sunlight regardless of its reflection just like one can appreciate the food regardless of its vessel. Uh, and also, it's not enough to see the outer, but one must uh, taste the nature of the outer, which is an inner experience. So there's a big discussion here about outer and inner, and the relative value uh, assigned, where to find value, priorities, <laughs> determination of value in association to the reality of outer inner. There's outer inner, 
there's me and you, there's past, present, future, all of these polarities and dualities, multiplicities, uh, regardless of multiplicity, duality, polarity, uh, the variable forms, there's an inner, there's um, a more highly valuable than the changing outer forms, which may be the form of day and night, <laughs> or the form of male and female, or the form of past and present future, or the form of high and low, or the form of uh, countless sects that are all disagreeing with each other on various points. What's inner is that they, they can help us point ourselves towards universal truth. That's the point. And that's why Gautama says, don't get lost in the thicket of views. They've been arguing for thousands of years. Humans are arguing. They're a, they're a quarrelsome bunch, a bunch of squabblers. It's a planet of squabblers, the squabbling planet of 3D repeaters. The 3D squabblers. <laughs> Fine. <laughs> um, there's a thicket of views. Don't get caught in the thorns. Fifteen. On a tree grow numberless flowers. The flowers all perish, but the tree does not perish for a long time. The visible is like flowers. The invisible is like the tree. The visible is the physical. The invisible is the metaphysical. The visible is the outer. The, multipli the, the multiple, the, the multiplicity, duality, polarity, change. Temporality, linear sequence, sequentiality, the, the yin and the yang <laughs> is a visible, is an outer, it perishes. The invisible is the metaphysical, the, the unifying principle, the unifying, the one uh, who's, which is the true nature of the many, that which never changes. It's the deathless. <laughs> Essentially, Gautama said, the deathless. Find the deathless, and uh, one can much more easily accept um, regular death. Sixteen. There are matches in a matchbox. Fire is produced only when the match is rubbed against the side of the box. So, also, the manas, uh, which we can call lower mental functioning, is the match. Intelligence, buddhi, is the side of the box. We should rub the manas against buddhi, and then we get the kingdom of self, atman, which is the same as the liberation from the cycle of birth and death. You know, atman is not the end of the line, but when he says, um, you see, this is the funny thing, there's some Hindus, it seems, and Vedantists, who equate Atman with liberation. And there are others who seem to equate Atman returning to Paramatman as liberation. I'd agree with the latter view. If you think that Atman is the end of evolution, you're wrong. If you, like Nityananda, if you understand that Atman returning to its true nature, being Paramatman, is the end of the line or Mukti, Okay, I'm with you. And so I think that's very um, subtle. And so there'll be some places where you will see where I saw just recently, I had a horror, a moment of horror. 
Oh my, it looks like he's saying that Atman is the end of the line. No, I can't be, because I know that's not the case. Just sixth density, no big deal, really. It's a Bhusa, Bodhisattva. But no, actually, what he really means, when they say self with a capital S, it uh, seems to me to be akin to Jivatman returning to its true nature of Paramatman, which is sub-logos sub Atman, sixth density, returning to sub-logos solar, eighth density, right? Leaving the octave, which is the deathless, because it's um, beyond range, as Gautama would say, beyond range, beyond the range of the five skandhas, beyond consciousness, absolutely, beyond the consciousness born of ignorance, but not beyond consciousness without surface, which akin to infinite awareness or non-compounded awareness, intelligent infinity, infinite intelligence, or this principle. And it's really above buddhi too. It's actually above buddhi. And it's probably what Nichananda means by sky of the heart, chittakash. Chittakash as the sky of liberated mm, awareness intelligence, boundless intelligent awareness, awareness intelligence, um, the mind of God. I mean, I'm not there, but um, that may be what they're saying, that the mind of when, when Jivatman or higher self has returned to the deathless and become one with Paramatman, there, it, its mind has become Chittakash. And that's not in the seven chakras, actually. It's out of them. Or the seven becomes, the, the, the seven chakras becomes one. It all gets rolled up into uh, seventh chakra, Brahmarandra, seventh chakra, in the end of the line. And then there's time. Okay. Uh, <laughs> I will read. What should I do? Maybe that'll be it for today. Mm, completing uh, Sutra 16. So, we should rub manas against buddhi, and then we get the kingdom of self, which is the same as the liberation from the cycle of birth and death of samsara. And so the kingdom of self is the deathless. I mean, again, some people will say yes, and some people will say no. Now what? And if you if you don't like this, why are you here, by the way? Or you like it and you don't like it. I would not recommend staying in a place which you don't like. <laughs> but some people are masochists. Okidoki and others um, find value and go where there's value. And um, it's very personal. So the, the spiritual path is profoundly personal. And so we may be sitting in a group or listening to the same teaching in a group, but each one takes it in differently, and each one makes of it unique, what uh, a unique result. And um, <laughs> there's no um, proven unified authority. This really is... Um, um, a realm of um, non-understanding. Uh, while we can get some understanding, there's no proof of anything in the way of uh, true statements. And, and in a way, like Ross saying, understanding is none of your density. 
um, disagreement comes with the territory in 3D under the veil and that's okay and yet one can uh, be more and more free of confusion and yet there's no proof that that means one's doing the right way there are a lot of zealots who are free of confusion too there are a lot of murderers and uh, crazy people <laughs> there are psychotics who will say I have no confusion I am Napoleon and I know it something like that so welcome to uh, the land of the unprovable so in any case it's very strange and I have no final conclusions on that matter either I can't even summarize it perfectly or, or excellently for my own for my own liking but in any case um, I think this is wonderful <laughs> and I hope you enjoy it I enjoy this I hope you enjoy it please find what you enjoy and go where you feel well well and um, leave where you don't feel well if you can unless you enjoy feeling pain which can be useful if you wish to work through it so I think we'll end here with Sutra verse 16 next time pick up at 17 and just see how it goes each reading um, thank you to all involved the website and Captain Hatengi and Chaitanyananda's glossary and uh, all those uh, who say they're of a lineage so anyway please take good care of yourself that's most important and I hope to see you next week okay good night